Well, hello, interwebs. Welcome to episode three of the Orlando Ramirez Show. I'm Dr. Orlando Ramirez. Welcome to my podcast. Uh, in the last episode, I don't know if you listened to it, but in the last episode, I uh, erroneously stated that it was the first episode. And it was technically the second episode. And uh, the reason for that, misstep, uh, misstep on my on my part is, uh, well, I can't help it. I blame uh, I blame the whole COVID nineteen lockdown. <laughs> so between my new show that I'm starting off and the Fusion Underground that I'm continuing to do, whenever I record, they're kind of blending together. All of my days, I don't know about you, but all of my days are blending together. It's hard to figure out which day I'm actually on and what I've actually accomplished. So my apologies to that. If you were listening to that and were confused, that was my error. I knew I recorded an introduction and I blended the two, the, the original introduction and episode one, I blended those things together. So again, my apologies for that. But here we are, we're on episode two and I'm your host. And this is a solo show, so I'm flying flying by myself here and having a lot of fun doing it. I really am. I, I, you know, I'm only, this is the third one, but uh, sitting down and, and getting a chance to talk about things that uh, I'm interested in and some ideas that have been whirling around in my head is a lot of fun and thinking about it. It also allows me to think about these topics in a way with, in a way that I have some objective that I'm trying to achieve. There's some goal in mind. So it, it actually keeps me motivated and thinking about the different topics. And what am I going to be talking about next? And so the idea of doing this podcast is actually paying off for me. Whether or not people find any value in it, uh, that remains to be seen. But I know I'm getting a lot of value out of it because I get to think about these topics and with a goal in mind, which is to recorded and send it all out into the uh, into the interweb space so to speak so on today's episode i'm not talking about i don't have news articles and i mentioned this before this isn't this isn't just a political podcast per se uh, we will get into some politics from time to time but it's really nice it's a really a, a platform to talk about the different ideas that i have swirling around in my head and to work through those ideas Maybe in so doing, you have a different perspective on things than I do. And I would, I do welcome any and all feedback that people might have. I would love to hear different insights that people may have. Feel free to tell me that I'm wrong or that you don't agree. And that's, that's the great thing about this medium is I get to sit here and talk and then you get to tell me how I'm wrong or how you disagree, or how you agree with certain things but not others, and that's awesome. For me, that's, that's, for me, that's exciting because then I see it as an opportunity to learn about new things and to bounce ideas off with people and get their feedback and maybe you influence what I'm actually thinking or help to fill the gaps that I might have in my own thinking. And so for me, that's all just a positive. Getting that feedback from, from listeners is a great way to continue my own thinking. And because I don't know about you, but um, 
there are those moments, there are those times where having a conversation with somebody and they'll say, they'll say something that is quite profound or quite, quite interesting. And I think, well, I haven't really thought about that before. Or I never, that never occurred to me. So that's good. That, that's good. So if you have any ideas, have any comments related to any of the topics on the show, uh, definitely drop me a line and I would love to hear them. I'd love to read them. So you can send me an email at omramirez.com. I'm sorry, omramirez3 at outlook.com. omramirez.com is my website. But send me an email at omramirez3 at outlook.com. If you wouldn't mind, try putting in the subject header podcast. That way it stands out to me and I don't, uh, I don't accidentally delete it. I do get a lot of emails, so hopefully I will uh, be able to sort through those. With the, uh, with the Fusion Underground podcast, I do try to reply to all of the emails that we get. And I will definitely make an attempt to respond to all emails that I get for this show as well. And then maybe in some future, some future show, I'll read a collection of emails and uh, give my thoughts on those comments. Okay. So what am I going to talk about in this show, in episode two? Well, uh, I want to talk about this kind of dovetails into what I was talking about last week or in episode um, in episode two. And in that show, in episode two, I was talking about how leftist ideology has caused people to silence their voices and to not share their ideas particularly about politics, but also there's a, there's a sense, there's prevailing fear among many Americans that they cannot share their ideas even if they're perceived to be political. And sadly, there are many people, particularly on the left, who have a very specific agenda. They have a very specific type of ideology. And they have been moving their way into different industries, such as Hollywood, comic books, video games, etc., with the explicit intent of changing those mediums, changing the products that are developed, so that those products can push forward a liberal or very leftist, very collectivist type of ideology. I talked a little bit about that in the last show. Now, I'm not diving necessarily back into that in this particular one, but I want to spend, I wanted to spend this show talking about this uh, world, for lack of a better term, this world of duality that I think we live in. So let me explain what I mean by that. We have reached a point in our society where a large number of people like to profess how they they love science. If you've been around social media at all, you've seen people humorously referring to uh, referring to ideologues as the party of science. And there is a very large group of individuals in our country, in the Western Hemisphere, that if you believe something contrary to what they believe, 
then they want to beat you over the head with some scientific study. And they want to say, they want to call you dumb or stupid or force you to change your mind because they believe they have science on their side. So they, they always argue in favor of science. And in fact, many of these people treat science as a religion. You might, so have you, have you stopped to wonder, well, why is that? Why is that? Why do we have people that are so much in favor of science? I'm not here trying to speak against science. That's not my intention. You remember, there is a difference between describing something and showing one support for that thing or not showing support for that thing. So there is a difference. If I'm simply describing a phenomenon, that doesn't mean that I value it any more or less than other people. It doesn't mean I value it at all. It's just merely me describing something. So for example, if I tell you, if I have an apple and I'm describing to you what that apple looks like, and maybe I try describing to you how that, what that apple tastes like so that you can get a picture in your mind about this apple. Me going through the actions of describing the apple to you does not mean that I like the apple. It doesn't mean that I dislike the apple. It's just me describing the apple. And that's important because I don't want people to confuse describing something that I see in the world versus, well, he must accept that or he must favor that. And I think that's how we get into these political debates or how political debates, I should say, spiral out of control. I've been a part of this on, on social media where I've tried describing something and people have immediately retaliated at me saying that I'm a maggot or M-A-G-A-T for those not unaware or for immediately saying that I'm a fascist, or immediately saying that I'm a racist, when all I have done is describe a situation or describe a context, because many people do not understand the nuance of words. And so that's one of the things that I hope to accomplish with this particular podcast, is to get people to understand the nuance of words and what words actually mean and to pay attention that when some people, when people are speaking about something to differentiate between, are they describing something or are they describing a preference for something? So we have these people who, who argue in favor of science and they treat it very much so as a type of religion. And for them, that's important because science represents the realm of objective truth. It describes objective reality, or that is at least one of the intentions of, the sci of scientific fields, is to describe the natural way of things, the natural property of things, the characteristics that make up our world. 
And that is, that's important. There's a lot of great knowledge that, that comes from, from that exercise. But there's a different type of, there's a different way of looking at the world or understanding the world that is different from quote unquote science. Now, let me back up for a second because I think my, my perception is this. When, I, when people say that they are in favor of science, and believe me, I've been called a science denier because I've questioned people's motives with regard to things like global warming. Again, I'm not passing judgment on global warming. I'm passing judgment on the intentions of people who are pushing global warming. There is a difference. So when I've questioned people's motivations with regard to global warming, or certain people's motivations with regard to global warming, some people will lash out and say, well, you must be anti-science. You're a science denier. Again, you're not listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth. But anyway. When people talk about science, I think what people are referring to is that objective way of describing the world around us, that objective way of understanding the world. And when we're talking about the objective, what we're really talking about is essentially a quantitative way of looking at the world. Quantitative referring to the different types of measurements that we can take that once we perform all of these different measurements, we can now describe accurately why a particular phenomenon occurs in the world. But science is not just quantitative science. In fact, there's a, a completely different type of science closely related to the quantitative format, and that is qualitative. When I was in grad school and I was earning my doctorate and I was pursuing my doctoral degree, I think like a lot of young doctoral learners or new doctoral learners, I was really focused on trying to perform a quantitative study because to me that felt like, well, that's more objective, objective reality. The more that I pursued my doctoral studies, I started to have a greater appreciation for qualitative studies. And in fact, the study that I performed for my dissertation was a qualitative analysis. In fact, it was actually a qualitative descriptive analysis. But I digress on that. Um, there's, a, there's a profoundness that comes with qualitative research. So in, with the quantitative research, what we're talking about is we're trying to describe that objective truth, as I mentioned, but with a qualitative research, we're trying to understand something different. We're trying to understand the value or the significance that people may place on objective things. And there's a slight distinction there. And to do qualitative analysis, to do qualitative research, is actually extremely rigorous. In fact, it can, it can in, in many instances, it can be very, it can even be more rigorous than doing quantitative research. In quantitative research, everything is controlled. In qualitative research, 
There are all kinds of variables that are outside of your control. But you have to work very hard to look past a lot of the variables or at least acknowledge the variables and how those variables could impact and skew your analysis. And so you're constantly trying to balance your own biases and trying to understand the different variables that are play are at play and trying to understand the unique context in which your phenomenon occurs. And that can be very challenging. In fact, there are many situations in which a qualitative, a doing qualitative research is really a very pure form of science. I think there are many people who call themselves the party of science or who embrace science they're really talking about that exploratory type of thing, exploring the world around them in a way that is controlled and where researchers are driven to understand something inside and out. That is really what happens on the qualitative side. The difference though, is that when we're talking about the qualitative side, we're not necessarily taking objective measurements of And that's why I say it can be very rigorous in how you look at things and why you're gathering certain data and how you interpret that data, how you analyze it, and how you synthesize that data across and how you look for supporting or even unsupporting or in data sources that may prove or, and or refute your claims. And you have to do that as a qualitative researcher, and that is why it can become very rigorous indeed. So why is the qualitative side important? Well, let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. I was talking with my father the other night and I was, we were talking about the same very subject and he was struggling with what I was referring to. And I said, well, take for example, you have a plate, you know, a plate that you might put dinner on or lunch on and eat off of, right? And you can describe that plate. You can take its measurements. You can measure the circumference and the diameter of that. I can describe to you the color of the plate, or maybe it has an intricate pattern, and I can describe to you that intricate pattern. I can describe for you, I can describe to you how the plate is actually, what it's made out of. If it's a porcelain plate versus a plastic plate, or maybe you're one of those rare individuals who has metal plates, or maybe it's a paper plate, for all I know. So there are different types of plates with different types of colors or and or intricate carvings or markings on it, right? Different sizes of plates, small plates, rather large plates, etc. I might even describe to you how it feels. Is it heavy or is it actually considerably light? Is it cool to the touch or is it warm? And then we, if it's warm, we might want to have a conversation about, we might want to understand, well, why is it warm? Well, it just came out of the oven. Oh, I see it's warm. That's why it's warm, right? So we can describe all of these very objective characteristics that, that, are, that describe or make up this plate. Now to most people, you might just be picturing a normal plate. But what if I told you that that plate belonged to my great-great-grandmother? Maybe it wasn't part of her initial china but maybe it was a plate that she bought for her firstborn. And maybe it was a plate that she fed her children off of. And maybe there's different stories related to this plate. 
different stories that were told while people were eating off of this plate. So now there's a tremendous sense of value, at least that I have for that plate, because it means something more to me. The plate matters more than other plates, to me at least. So there's high significance in what this plate means and what it represents, not only to myself, but to my family in general. So that's the difference between doing something that's quantitative, taking all those measurements of the plate, versus doing something qualitatively, understanding the, the hidden or unexposed value or significance that an object may have. So I might say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, if we look at, if we, if we spend time playing in this world of the significant, trying to understand the value of things, as opposed to just understanding the characteristics of things, it puts us in a completely different mind space. And the way we then interact with that world changes. The way we interact with that object changes. Because if I pick up that plate, that porcelain plate that has been in my family for a number of years, I'm going to treat it very differently than the way I would handle just a normal plate in my house. I might actually put that plate on display, for example. And so we have this sort of this world of the objective, this world of science, I could think, for lack of a better term, but then we have this world of the, of the intangible. And the thing is that world of the intangible is the world of mythology. It's the world of myth. And when you, if you study myth at all, Joseph Campbell is what was one of the leading uh, thoughts, uh, world thinkers, I, could, I should say, of academics on mythology. But if you study mythology, start to understand that myths, mythological stories, they're not just the ancient's way of describing their world. Myths actually teach us about the value of things. In some cases, they might teach us about the value of character, the right values or the right principles that a hero might have or might need to be successful in our society. There are far too many people that I think look at those ancient mythological stories and they erroneously believe that those myths were really uncivilized people's way of understanding their world. There are many of the many people who believe that well, the reason why we had mythological stories in the past was because we didn't quite understand science. And that couldn't be more wrong. There's more to mythological stories than that. I mean, there might be some truth to that, right? There might be some truth that an ancient culture creates a sun god in order to explain why the sun traverses the sky. But that's only part of it. 
Because when you dig deeper into that mythological story, you start to understand that there's, there are value properties associated to that mythology. There might be reasons why people within society should behave in that society because of maybe that mythological God or that mythological character. And so I think, I think there are many people who have abandoned the world of myth in favor of science, where they say, well, we, don't, we no longer need those mythological stories because we have science now that describes everything. And when we had those initial mythological stories, eventually what happened was those mythological stories transformed into religion over time. And so now you can, if you, if you follow that line of thinking, we, we have this sort of brewing battle between people who believe in science versus people who believe in a particular religion. So mythology gives way to religion. And people tend to see those things at polar opposites, where religion and science are competing against one another. But in fact, in fact, science actually, or I should say religion, gave way to science. Why is that? Well, because as religious thinkers began to dominate those various religious belief systems, many new philosophers were born. And philosophers began to look at things in a very logical and controlled way in order to understand the religious doctrine. And that type of thinking eventually gave way to scientific research. So we see that we have these, these ancient mythological stories that eventually get codified into religious doctrine and the birth of religion. And then the birth of religion gives rise to philosophy and philosophy gives rise to scientific thinking. So these things are not mutually exclusive. Science and religion are not necessarily mutually exclusive, nor are they at odds with one another. They're actually, science is really the descendant of religion and mythology. So there's traceability there, there's history there. There are links from one to another. So why is the world of myth important? Well, I talked about how the world of myth is important because that's how we learn to interact with people. That's how we learn to interact with, our, with the society. Cultures tend to use mythological stories to orient people into what is right. The values and principles of a society are embedded within the mythological stories of that society. So the mythology exists in this subjective world, which is just as equally important as the objective world. There are two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Which is why when you're pursuing a doctoral degree, you often are required to perform a study. And many universities will say you can perform either a quantitative or a qualitative study because they're, they're interlinked together. They're, they're, they're linked at the hip, so to speak. And often, before you can perform a quantitative study, you must understand a phenomenon at least a little bit. And so usually qualitative research comes before quantitative research because you have to explore. 
because the world exists in a chaotic state, at least to humans. It may be ordered in a way that makes sense to nature, but we don't understand that order. And so for humans, it appears to be very chaotic. And so we need to explore that chaos and understand how that chaos is functioning. And then we can start to explore and define it and bring that chaos into order. So qualitative usually precedes quantitative research. So why is all of this important? Well, as we get more and more people in our society, more and more of these postmodern thinkers, they tend to fight against religious belief systems because they don't understand their own history. They don't understand where their ideas of science and philosophy came from. And so they battle back against the forces of religion and they battle against the forces of mythology. Why is mythology important in 2020? Well, it's important because we do have a lot of mythological stories even in current day society. For example, we have a whole host, decades worth of comic books to read. Superheroes are essentially our modern day gods and goddesses. They tell extravagant mythological stories within them. And of course, superheroes, by definition of, of them, just by sheer definition of the word superhero, embody particular values and principles that are usually defined from a Western culture standpoint because it's people within the Western hemisphere that are creating these comic books. When we, when we think about characters like Wonder Woman or Superman or Batman or Captain America, we immediately conjure up images of very principled and highly valued people that are pursuing justice and trying to right, right wrongs and they fight against evil. They uphold values and principles that our society holds dear. They become, they become almost like mentors in a way of young children and even for adults who have read them all their lives. They look back at these comic books and they look at the situations that, that these superheroes are in and they reminisce and they talk about it. Now they might not be praising these, these superheroes in a way that, that an ancient society might praise mythological heroes. We don't necessarily go to that extreme, we may not. I think there are many people who still see them interpreted as comic book heroes. But what is happening in our culture today? We have ideologues who value this sense of science and they value this collectivist thinking. They're they are penetrating their way into the comic book industry and they're essentially dismantling many of these mythological stories that have existed in these comic books. And I know that is happening because when I look out on the comic book industry, there are many fans of comic books. This is also happening in, in video games as well. But many of these fans are fighting back. And people say, well, why are they fighting back? It doesn't make sense. They're just characters. It's just a story. They're fighting back because what they don't understand or what they may understand mainly intuitively is that these stories of these characters that they hold dear, they speak to something deep inside of them. 
there's a connection that they have. Mythological stories do that for us. Mythological stories create a connection between us and the characters of those stories. We become the characters of those stories. And that's a healthy thing. It's something that humans have been doing for thousands of years. Bonding with these mythological stories. They mean something. So when another group of people come in and they say, well, we're going to change these stories. We're going to change this character to a female, or we're going to change this character to LGBTQ, whatever, or we're just going to make this character an evil character instead. What they're doing is they're, they're changing those mythological stories which matter to us, which we are connected to. And then they wonder why people are freaking out. They wonder why people fight back. They wonder why people say, no, stop it, don't do that. And those who are trying to change, who are trying to change that media, they look down their noses at the fans and they criticize them. They call them bigots and homophobes races, bigot, homophobes, whatever, because they don't understand fundamentally what these stories actually mean to people. We saw this again play out in the Star Wars, the recent Star Wars trilogy. The recent Star Wars trilogy went, whoa, well, Star Wars in and of itself was a modern day mythology that was created in the United States by a man named George Lucas, a man who read the writings of Joseph Campbell, a man who actually talked and had conversations with Joseph Campbell while he was writing Star Wars because he wanted, because George Lucas wanted to understand the various themes on a deeper level about mythology because he wanted to incorporate those themes into what it was that he was making. And because George Lucas was very successful in putting those mythological themes into Star Wars, he created something extravagantly special. And it resonated with millions of people worldwide, particularly here in the West. And so yes, George Lucas came along years later and he created the prequel trilogies. And yes, they weren't as good movies as we were hoping they would be. But the mythology was still pretty profound in many respects. And so people, fans, they still had an attachment to the mythology, even if the delivery of the mythology was a little, was a little left to be desired. And then, along, and then along comes Disney. And they're going to make a brand new trilogy. But they're not making something different. What they're doing is they're finishing up or trying to finish up the initial mythological stories that George Lucas created. It was a tall order, not because they were tackling the Star Wars franchise, but because they had to uphold the Star Wars mythology. And they failed to do that because the mythology was no longer present in those later episodes. And the fans could immediately sense it. The fans who grew up idolizing Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia, etc., they immediately recognized that there was, there was something missing. What was missing was the, mytho was, was the mythological storytelling that we, had, that we had become so accustomed to 
in the first six episodes, in the first six films. And so fans lashed out. But see, there's a difference between the people who were the, the lifelong fans who understood, at least on some innate level, that Star Wars was, was mythology. You had them who were contrasted with newer viewers, modern day viewers, who just saw them as films. And the creators of the last trilogy, of the third trilogy, really went in and just simply created a science fiction epic. They just tried to create science fiction movies or science fantasy movies. They didn't try to create mythology. Star Wars is not a science fiction film. It's not necessarily science fantasy. It is a present day mythology. And the makers of the last trilogy failed to understand that. And because they failed to understand that, the Star Wars movies were doomed to failure from the, from the get-go. So my point in all of this is that mythology is important. Our mythological stories are important, whether we're talking about ancient Greece, whether we're talking about ancient Rome, whether we're talking about ancient China, Norse mythology, etc. They're all important for their own reasons. And they're fantastic stories that are interesting stories that still can apply to us today. They're timeless. Mythology is timeless because mythology speaks to those things that have meaning. They don't speak about what is, they speak about what is important. And mythologies are a call to action. The thing about mythology is it, it teaches us about how we should behave in the world, about what we should aspire to become, how we should interact with each other. Mythologies help to establish cooperative environment for our culture and our society. And that's why they're important. But we also have modern day mythologies as well. Modern day mythologies, mythological stories that are being told in video game format, that are being told in film, that are being told in comic books, for example, and other types of media. I'm not saying all media are mythological stories, but some definitely are. And so my challenge for anybody is look for those mythological stories. And if you're given the opportunity to create mythological stories, or at least to play within those industries, understand what it is that you're getting involved in. Understand why it's more important than just trying to make a cool superhero movie or tell a cool superhero story. There's a mythology that has gone along with those characters for a long time. That's why these characters are important. That's why they matter. Superman is an objective superhero character. He does have characteristics. We can define his powers. We can describe how he looks. We can describe the costume that he wears. But he's important because of the values he represents. Same with all of the other superheroes. Well, I think I've said enough on that. Thank you for listening, everybody. I hope you found it interesting. Uh, 
as always, you can find the show on my web on my uh, website, omramirez.com. You can uh, I post all of the episodes up there. You can also find the the show off of Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I believe I'm now on Apple Podcasts as well. Also on Stitcher, so you can check me out there uh, if you want to find the show and download it, or if you just open up any of your whatever podcast software that you use, maybe on your mobile device. If you plug in the Orlando Ramirez show, you should find me and, um, and it should update uh, appropriately. So thanks for listen, listening. And of course, if you would be sure to like the show, um, you know, give it a thumbs up or stars, whatever the situation may be based on the platform. I would appreciate it. It helps get the show in front of more listeners. And as always until next time, take care everyone.